0: Okay, ladies, this week we studied Judges 11 and 12 and we looked at the events in the life of Jephthah, the eighth judge mentioned in the book of Judges, raised up by God to deliver his people. When people talk about Jephthah, if they know about him, the thing they usually remember is his vow. And did he or did he not literally sacrifice his daughter? And that's usually the discussion around this chapter. And I understand why. It is hard for us to wrap our, our minds around the horror of such a thing. And it's even harder for us to recognize how that could have happened and if, if God would have even allowed it. This is the third time I've studied this chap, these chapters in depth. And every time I see a little different slant, I am not 100% sure on what Jephthah did. And actually, truthfully... Neither do any of commentaries, pastors, theologians, or any of us. We don't exactly, literally know. We can have opinion, opinions based upon what we see in God's Word. And most of those people actually um, take scriptures and validate their points and do it well so that it supports whichever view they hold. But ultimately, the issue is not how Jephthah fulfilled his vow. If we only focus on that, we miss the point, or a point, why God put this word in his scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, including this story of Jephthah. One of the main reasons God recorded this story is to help us understand the seriousness of words. Our words matter. They can and often do impact others in important ways. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And we see this literally played out in the life of Jephthah. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. The power of words as seen in the life of Jephthah, in our own words, and as expressed about God's words. Chapter 1 begins with the story of Jephthah, the illegitimate son of a prostitute, and Gilead, the leader of one of the tribes of Israel. Jephthah was cast out, rejected by his family to live in a faraway city where he was surrounded by worthless people who followed him. After a time, some Ammonites came to wage war on Gilead, and his half-brothers were ill-prepared. So they came to beg him to fight for them. Jephthah questions their motives and calls them to examine themselves and their commitment. He asks them to follow him, to do what he says, and he'll be their leader. Jephthah's words are powerful with the promise of life. Chapter 11, verse 11, Jephthah says, it tells us that Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Jephthah realized that people tend to be fickle with their words. And so he called them to make this commitment before the Lord at Mizpah. Um, there's an implication that Jephthah viewed Mizpah as the place where God's presence was. I don't know if the Ark of the Covenant was there at that time, but certainly Jephthah reckon, thought it was, God's presence dwelt there, and so he wanted people to say their words there so that God really heard them. Then in 11, 12 through 27, Jephthah attempts to reason with the Ammonite king. His words remind the king of how Israel had responded to Edom, and to Moab, how they respected the borders of those countries and they, when they did not want Israel to pass through them. But when Sion, king of the Amorites, went to war with Israel, he didn't, because he didn't trust them that they wouldn't pass through, God gave them possession of the Amorite land. So Jephthah addresses the lie that the land belongs to the Ammonites. It's not Ammonite land, it is Amorite land. And he called upon God to judge between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. And Jephthah's words speak with the power of life or death. The Ammonite king does not listen to Jephthah. and He rejects his words, and this brings war upon his people. But Jephthah, had used his words so wisely in diplomatically dealing with this king, now rashly makes a foolish vow to the Lord, words spoken without consideration of their impact. And we saw that in verses 30 and 31, that whatever would come from his door, he would. his statement was, whatever comes to meet me shall be the Lord's. That statement is foolishness in itself. Can you see why? After all, all things already belong to the Lord. They're all his. In fact, Deuteronomy 10.14, I'm not sure if I put, I didn't put that up. Deuteronomy 10.14 says, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. So Jephthah's words were words of death for his daughter, whether that was literal sacrifice or a life of celibacy. It was a death. And Jephthah's words ushered that in. He may have won the battle, but at great cost. All because of his hasty words. Then in chapter 12, those Ephraimites, the one we saw back with Gideon, they're back again. They're mad because Jephthah didn't ask them to fight. And uh, that was not even true. In verses um, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 12, Jephthah says, And Jephthah said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites. And when I called you... You did not save me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites. With taunting words, they enticed Jephthah to fight. This is in verse 4 of chapter 12. Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. These taunting words incited Jephthah. And so then he went to war with some of God's own people. So Gilead captured the forge of the Jordan where the Ephraimites would have to cross. And isn't it ironic that it was the pronunciation of words that caused their people to be slaughtered? at the forge in all 42,000 Ephraimites were killed oh the power of words so how does that apply to us is it simply is just the story simply about making a vow and keeping our promises what is the point I think it's easy if we just regard this passage just to be about keeping promises, keeping vows, which is really important. We miss the finer points because much of the emphasis in these two chapters was on words, whether for evil or for good, for life or for death. So that's what I want to spend time talking about now, an application using various cross-references. I spent a good bit of time looking at what Scripture says about our words. And I was absolutely overwhelmed with the magnitude of what God has to say about words. I counted in the book of Proverbs. I noticed there were a lot of these references from Proverbs. In Proverbs alone, direct, literal statements and commands about our words, 145 times in Proverbs alone, that doesn't count James. It doesn't count what's sprinkled through the epistles. It's not anything of the Old Testament, just in Proverbs. Certainly, the Lord has concern for what comes from our mouths. So we need to remember that whatever we say is always before the Lord. See, Jephthah thought he had to have people in the right place so God would hear the words. Y'all, all of our words are always before the Lord. Psalm 139 4 says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows the words we're about to speak before we say it. Our words are always before the Lord. He hears it all. He knows it all. None of our words escape him. But it's not simply that words themselves kill or bring life. Scripture tells us that words are a window to what's in our heart. Matthew 15, 18 says, But what comes from the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. What defiles a person? Words? No, it's what's in the heart that comes out. This is what defiles us. What's in the heart that's evidenced in our words. All right, so you might be thinking, Well, if my heart's wicked, those those words just came out. I can't help it. I can't help what I say. I've got this wicked things in my heart. And are we allowed to use that excuse to excuse ourselves? No way. There are boo of verses that talk about how we need to discipline our lips to take control of our tongues by the spirit's power. James 1.26 reminds us, if anybody thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that man's religion is worthless. So the words that do flow from our mouth do reveal what's within, but we have a responsibility to bridle our tongues by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 30 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is it's good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it may give grace. To those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We are commanded to filter our words so that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Like Jephthah, our words can bring life or death. Colossians four six says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so you may know how you're supposed to respond to every person. So recognizing that God has called me to bridle my tongue, to filter my words, to consider how I respond to others, there are some questions I should ask myself. Are my words gracious when I appeal to others to honor God? Proverbs 16:23 says, The heart of the wise makes their mouth prudent, and their lips promote instruction. Do I speak rashly like Jephthah did? The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Do I respond appropriately to wrath? Like when Jephthah was, the Ephraimites came to him. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, Proverbs 15 tells us. Do I ignore insults? Fools show their ignorance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. And Proverbs 17, 27 and 28, even a fool when he holds his peace is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's esteemed a man of understanding. Am I quarrelsome? Proverbs 23 tells us it's our to our honor to avoid strife, but a fool is quick to quarrel. Am I quick to become angry? Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Do I talk too much? I didn't like this one. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Do I gossip? Proverbs 20, 19 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. And while we're at it, am I careful with what I say, even in private? Luke 12, 3 says, Therefore what you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. It's amazing how those private conversations somehow seep out leak out. Oh, the power of our words. Jephthah's words were, were used for both good and evil. We must examine our words, bridle them, filter them so that God can use them for good and not evil. But far more important than our words or any man's words, what does God say about his word? God is not like us. All his words are righteous and true. Every word of God is true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. His words have purpose and fulfill his plans. Isaiah 55:11. So shall my word be, which goes forth from my word. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God's word has purpose and accomplishes his goals. Jephthah, a mighty warrior, appealed to the Gilead. Ites, the Gileadites to examine their commitment and follow him. Our mighty warrior calls us to examine ourselves and our commitment. He calls us to follow him. James 1:21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Our mighty warrior calls us to obey his commands, to do what he says. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do all that is in, according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God's word leads us. Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jephthah reasoned with the Ammonite king warning him of judgment to come. God, the righteous, holy judge, reminds us that he's the one who will judge between his own people and the enemies of God. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. It is his word that judges what's in our hearts. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word holds all power of life and death. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Oh, the power of God's word. Hebrews 1, 2 tells us that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, in his son, who he called the word. Are we listening? He holds life and death by the power of his word. So today, if we hear his words, if we hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray. Lord, your word is truth. Where, where else could we go? You hold it all, Lord. You know all things. And you know the plans that you have. Lord, you know the way that you have called us to live. You know the works you are accomplishing. Lord, you know our hearts, you know what's there, and you know that we so rashly speak and and we use our tongue and our words, Lord, for evil and not for good. Oh, God, forgive us. Will you enable us, Lord, to do what you've called us to do? Will you cause us to bridle those words that come out? May we glorify you by the words that flow, that they would be words that are yours, Lord. And that our lives would match what we speak. Oh God, only you can do this work in us. And we ask you to do it. We give you our lives again, Lord. And we commit ourselves to you to let you lead us. In your name we pray. Amen.